is the Intuitive Leadership Mastery Podcast. What would it take for you to double your profits and half your stress with your intuition? Learn how with your host, Michael Light. Welcome back to the show. I'm here with Komal Carr, and we're going to be talking about how she's been shedding her ego over the last year and how that's affected her intuition and work. So welcome, Kamal. Hi. Thanks for having me. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. It's Komal Kaur. Komal Kaur. Kaur. Like C-O-R-E, Kaur. And Kaur, of course, means divine princess or lioness or something. Yes, princess. Yeah, it means princess. (laughs) It was a name given to us by our 10th guru, Guru Gobind Singh Ji. And Mm. uh, it was to... Um, give women equal status to men. This was 400 years ago, right? Yes. <laughs> Long time ago. So Yeah. And this is the Sikh yeah. religion for those who don't, didn't realize what you're talking about. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so I've, I've connected with that through Kundalini Yoga, which is sort of a sister or yes. cousin or I don't know. So yeah. came through Yogi Bhajan. Anyway, I, the reason I wanted to interview you is you wrote a very interesting New Year's post about how you'd set the intention for 2020 to remove your attachment to the I, to the ego, to the self that craves and identifies with labels. Mm. And you talked about shedding a lot of your ego in 2019 mm-hmm. and letting go of attachments and, and had a bit of pain with that. So if it's okay with you, we'll dig into that later in the, yeah, the episode. Sure. <laughs> um, and talk a bit about the role of ego and intuition and, and business and awareness. So that's the plan for our conversation and anything else that, you know, spirit brings up in the conversation. So I, I think we should start by, cause that word ego is quite loaded. You know, what is it to you? So, um, to me, ego basically is that part of myself that um, I identify with, that I give a label to, that is um, where I form the image of who I am. So, you know, my name, for example, I have quite an attachment to my name because I love my name. <laughs> um, you know, how I look, the image, right? Um, oh. Right, the thoughts, the emotions that come up uh, in my, my mind how I feel, my body, what comes up in my body, all of these, all these aspects of myself which are outside is what I consider my ego, what I identify with, what I'm attached to, and what I feel separates me from someone else. You know, what makes me me and what makes you you, you know, and that is my ego. Mm. So that, that's what ego means to me. Now, that's interesting you talk about it, what separates you from other people, because, you know, part of the thing is we are all one. So that sort of implies the ego is what stops us feeling that connection with with other people or other things. Yeah, exactly. I mean, ego creates boundaries, right? Ego is what um, says that, oh, you know, um, it, it creates that, that resistance to saying, that maybe I am not an individual, maybe I am part of something else that is not what I identify with. And if I don't like that something else, I want to resist it. 
But that is also a part of us because it is part of the one. So ego is what, you know, drives us to, to be an individual, you know. And we in the West, you know, everybody wants to be individualistic, right? Everyone wants to have their own, this is me, this is who I am. But um, yeah, that's what that that is that is what separates us from each other. Mm. You know? Yeah, I mean in the East there's more of a community or group orientation. It's- Definitely, yeah. In in the East it's you're only as strong or as, you know, enlightened as the community that you're in. And that's why, you know, when we, uh, when you come together to, to do kirtan or chanting or meditate, you, you know, you come together in a group, you have a sangat, you know, you, you come together to sing together to, you know, um, practice sangat. devotion together. Sangat's another word for community. In, exactly. In, yeah, sangat. Um, in Gurumukhi. <laughs> that's right. Yes. <laughs> Language of the Sikhs um, or, or Kundalini yogis. <laughs> so it, I, it just occurred to me that another common group is when people get together and work in the same business. So I know you've worked in businesses exactly. in, in, I think in Malaysia you've worked in businesses and you've also worked in Western businesses. In Singapore, yeah, I'm from Singapore. I'm from Singapore. Yeah, I'm oh, from Singapore. Singapore. Oh. Yes, I am. Yeah. Oh well, I got so, it one country off next door. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, at least you know where Singapore is. Um, it's better than a lot of people, but so yeah, I was born in Singapore. You know, grew up in that system, and then I worked for nine years in Singapore. And um, to be honest, I was quite lucky to be and very blessed to be part of a company that saw us as a whole whole system and not as just individual people competing against each other and you're right that's where it comes in ego comes in into the business as well because a lot of businesses have a very competitive environment between um between the employees or between the hierarchical levels of business and it's not necessary to be competitive i think that a more powerful environment is that of a collaborative one instead of a competitive one and to collaborate, you you do need to shed a bit of ego. You know, you do need to say that, okay, maybe, you know, I will uh, listen to your point of view and maybe my point of view is not the best, you know, and uh, maybe I'll compromise a little bit. You know, I don't need to prove that I know everything um, or that I'm the best, you know. So, yeah, collaboration is, I think, very, very important. And it comes when you start to remove a little bit of that ego that makes you, you know, very attached to your role and say that, ah, I'm going to prove who I am and I'm going to be better than everybody else in this organization. Yes, that's another aspect of ego, the, the labels, you know, I am a, um, you know, whatever, operations manager or yeah. whatever the role is yeah. you have. And therefore, um, I know this part of the business better than you, uh, who is in sales. So how, you know, how dare you come and tell me how to run this? I don't believe in that. I believe that you can learn from every, everyone mm-hmm. because we all tap into the same consciousness. We all tap into the same uh, self. And mm. there is something to, to learn from everyone around you. Mm. So do, does this relate to the shift from the age of Pisces to the age of Aquarius? You know, you know how we have these roughly 2,000-year long ages and the age of Aquarius in yes, theory started I, in 2012 yeah i have um heard about that but to be honest i haven't actually dived very deep into it 
but the planet and i do believe in astrology and the planet is going through shifts and we all shift together at the same time so there is no way that we're not affected by the shift in the planetary systems either mm. because I, th i think the age of pisces was more about individual isolation ego. yes yeah. basically uh, when you isolate yourself you know you 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 are just more about yourself and who you are and Yeah, it, there is definitely a shift, I think, and I feel it. I don't know if I feel it because I am. It's coming into my awareness, and therefore mm. I think it's there, mm. or it's always mm. been there. I can't really say. And I, I think it is the case that that there are businesses that are shifting more towards collaboration, and you know, egoless uh, work, and and even in. I mean, I'm involved in software development in my uh, other business, and. You know, there is this concept of egoless programming there where you don't, mm. you know, on pair programming and code reviews where groups of people, you know, you, you're more interested in getting the software to work right than whether what the code you wrote was wonderful. Exactly. Um, yeah, absolutely. We, and we, I'm, I'm sure we've all been there working in businesses where, you know, it's been where you've described as toxic And mm -hmm. usually that word comes about because you feel like you're being pitted against your your mm. um, your colleagues. Mm. Uh, competition element is there. Now, how how much of that do you think relates to the uh, you know the patriarchy or matriarchy that has been in society where you know men controlled a lot of things in the past and uh, there was a kind of male way of of being in business yeah i mean definitely there is that element there but what's really um what i've noticed is quite that's quite sad to me is that even women have followed that system now of the mm. that basically the patriarchal system in business uh, is important because it's what drives the business forward and it helps to grow because men are sort of designed to do that right to go out and hunt At the same time, uh, because women have been forced into the workplace, the only way that we think that we can get forward is by adopting that system, by becoming like men, you know, by being competitive, by you know, going out and hunting. And um, I don't see a lot of the matriarchal um, elements much in in business, to be honest, because. Every business is about growth, about you know profit, about and it's fine. That's how you know you, that's the only way that you can actually sustain it, right? You need to make profit, you need to make money. But what if um, it didn't have to be as competitive as a culture within the business? You know, uh, what if we um, paid more attention to our our heart, our health, you know, and brought those nurturing qualities of Uh, of, of women, of those yin, you know, those yin qualities into the business. What if we did that? Is there anyone out there who's willing to test it and see what happens? What happens in a company? You know, I think there are companies out there, to, you know, working that way. Uh, and it also occurs to me, you know, I, maybe you can combine both elements of male and female, just Definitely. like the yin and yang symbol, you know, it's the circle and yeah. it has the little dot of the yin inside the yang and the little dot of yeah. the yang and the yin and yeah. all kind of swirling together. Exactly. Um, you know, I think there's some value in being goal focused. Uh, 
Mm. And there's value in holding space and nurturing. Yes. So um, where, where we run into problem is when it's, it's only one or the other. You Correct. Know, it's, if it's yeah. all ego and goals, competition, yeah. it, it's not very, first of all, it's not, not as effective as it could be business-wise. Mm-hmm. It makes less money. And perhaps more importantly, it's not, it's not paying attention to how much joy is in people's hearts from the business, you know, both the employees and the customers and the vendors. Yeah. Um, you know, I've I think been that's in that where, place before, you know, where I worked for a company that was mm-hmm. very, very competitive and very goal-focused mm-hmm. and I burnt out, you know, after mm-hmm. a year I burnt out because mm-hmm. there was no attention given to the well-being of the employee and um, you lose good talent, you mm-hmm. know, when that happens. Mm-hmm. So it's a shame. Yeah, yeah, but you're right. You, it needs to be balanced. And you just to be clear to emphasize that companies lose good talent because the talent walks out the door and quits or gets sick because they're burnt out. But it also loses good talent because they don't feel they can bring their whole self to work and they don't contribute their best ideas. They just do what you know. I forget what, how, what, how you describe this, but you know, someone who's in their job and they just do the minimum necessary. Um, there's a phrase for that I'm forgetting. Yeah, uh, but that's also because the space hasn't a safe space hasn't been developed, right? For the mm-hmm. employees to present their ideas because if they know mm-hmm. that when they open their mouth they're going to get shut down, then mm-hmm. they're just going to keep they're going to keep it to themselves, right? So right. that's where the, the the maternal has to come in, and you know mm-hmm. it has to create a safe space, you know, for the employees to to be able to bring themselves their whole selves to the company, to the to the job, and to the business, and to contribute you know in any way that that they can to the business and know that they're not going to get shut down or going to be made feel small or going to be made feel like their ideas are not valuable even if it doesn't apply to the business there is a way to say thank you you know for sharing this you know um we might look into this later but you know we really value that you brought this to the table you know you've got to create that safe space and because that safe space is not there in companies yeah, people don't bring their best, they don't bring their all, they just do the bare minimum. And I, I think that particularly happens in larger companies or in government. You know, I, I, I'm sure we've all had experiences of interacting with government agencies where, <laughs> you know, occasionally you run into a really uh, joyful and helpful person. But to be honest, a lot of <laughs> yeah. people in, in government agencies, you yeah. know, they're, they're burnt out and, and they're not giving their all. Yeah, um, exactly which is kind of sad because they're there to support the whole country or state or city or whatever bit of government they're in to mm. do better. And yet they themselves are burnt out and yeah. not uh, feeling they can contribute. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. I think this is a very deep topic. I mean, we started off as, as your individual ego journey and we'll come back to that in a little bit, but, I think there's actually something for all businesses to learn here about the role of ego and, and whatever the opposite of ego is. What What is the opposite of ego? You, you talk about nurturing. But is there a word for the opposite of ego? For me, the what is the what is on the other side of ego? For me, the other side of ego is self-realization. It's just self-knowing. Mm. And when you know yourself, then you know that you know you are a part of the whole and that we are all one. Mm-hmm. And 
then you can bring that to every aspect of your life. You know, you can bring that to your work relationships, to your family. You become more relaxed around people. You become less judgmental. You become less, you have less attachment to um, expectations, you know. Um, and it just creates a more softer you. And it doesn't mean that you're not productive. It just means that, you know, you're able to see everything from... Um, you, you're able to look at everything and see that it's all we're all part of the same machine you know so for me that's the other side of ego where it's just a knowing it's a knowing it's an awareness and it's hard to explain what that is but you know it when you're in a in a team like at work mm -hmm. and you really enjoy it and the joy that comes out of you know that interaction that you get with your teammates like that for me is on the other side like that's the feeling that that comes out that comes up for me you know when i'm in a team that i really love you know and i enjoy working in it's joy and that joy that you bring to your team you bring to the the company right and then that company brings that into the world so yeah that for me is the opposite on the other side mm. how does that really i know you've your last job you're working in you were working remotely how, how do you apply that to a remote team because it seems easy to do if you're in an office yeah yeah definitely perhaps a little bit easier but um remotely it's really possible and communication for me that's the big thing like to for me two things right the the communication open communication among team um and the safe space and i think that those two are the most important things um and how we get to that element of joy within the company um it's it's doable because i felt joyful in my last role you know so i felt good and i felt like i could approach anyone you know no matter what level they were at um and i felt like we were all happy we were happy to be there. We were happy to contribute. And we were happy with the products that we were putting out in the world. Mm. So. so picking who is on the team is pretty important. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. But also uh, setting the culture mm -hmm. and then communicating that culture is really important. Mm -hmm. Because there are times when you know we are not at our best. We're not at our best 100% of the time. You know, things take us out of our of our center. Things upset us, you know. Um, and sometimes we bring our not our best self to work. Um, but let's say you had an interaction with a colleague which wasn't the best. Uh, you could have been nicer. You know, it is... If you had that open, loving uh, culture in the relationship, in that company, the colleague would see that and be like, you know, I see maybe you're having a not a very good day today or, you know, um, I can see that you're struggling or you're, you know, you're not feeling so good today. Or is there something that I can help you with? Is there something that's where this is coming from? And I remember doing that with a previous colleague um, where she was, I think that just wasn't one of her best days. And, you know, she was just really upset, something maybe stressed. And she came up and she said some things to me and I was like, the first thing I asked her was, is everything okay? 
you know, are you feeling all right? Like, um, is there something that uh, I need to know? Like, are you, is, is, is the workload too much? You know, um, are you having trouble meeting your tasks? Like, that's where I went to because I was like, I knew that this is not who she is and she is not presenting her best self, right? So it's not about attacking the person, but saying, how can I support you so that you can bring your best self to work? And that was really good because um, it opened up communication for the both of us. And, you know, she opened up about how she was quite stressed and then she was moving and everything. And, um, you know, and she, she apologized and she said, you know, I'm really sorry. Like, um, I'm not always like this and, you know, I want to be professional. And I was like, yeah, it's fine. It's okay. You know, and just forgiving, right? And it's forgiveness and then moving moving forward. Hmm. You know, I do, I, when you mentioned that issue i i i knew someone who worked at uh, the gratitude cafe in san francisco which is a nice place to visit if you're ever in california okay. um i think they have one in los angeles too and maybe there's one in new york i forget but the point i want to make is they have a team meeting every morning where mm. everyone shares is there something going on in their life that could affect mm. work um, so yeah. they can just be heard and also so people can be aware. Yes. And I think that helps them be more cohesive as a team. Yeah, it's not an excuse for employees to slack off or to um, not, you know, to not work, right? But it creates a space where everybody knows what everyone is going through and they, they, they're more understanding. And I've noticed that it also, that once you get that off your chest and you know that someone else knows what you're going through. You actually want to bring your best self and you want to show that, you know, you are, you can get through this and you are committed and that, you know, you have the team's interest at heart and mm -hmm. that you're not just about you, right? You mm -hmm. are about the whole. So I found that, you know, it's, um, it's quite powerful. It is quite mm. powerful. Yeah. Mm. Very interesting. <laughs> so let's talk about 2019 when you had uh, some exciting times that caused you to shed parts of your ego. Uh, maybe we can dig into what, you know, was there something that triggered this or did you just sit under a banyan tree one day and become really aware <laughs> that you needed to shed some stuff? I think that a part of me has always felt like um, a little bit, I've always seen the world as like um, a play, like a movie almost around me. Um, but I never really gave it a lot of attention. But obviously, because I studied this Guru Granth Sahib, um, you know, the teachings tell us that there is more than what we are just seeing around us. So there's always been that in a knowing that there is more than what's around us. And... Um, what happened in 2019 was that I realized how much I was still holding on to labels and my uh, identity of who I thought I was, right? Um, really strong, really, really strong. And this happened because um, I, felt, I felt ill and uh, I was having some health issues and I've been having them since about 2015. So out of nowhere, suddenly, you know, they erupted. And I was always just tackling them, you know, as they came. And 
my life just kind of went on, but I would tackle the the health issue. It would it would go away, and then you know I would just go back to life. But I never really dug deeper into it, or I thought I I, I did contemplate on it, but didn't really get anywhere significant. And then 2019, it happened again. You know, um, the health issue came back, and I thought, okay, I need to look deeper into this. And um, I've been vegetarian since I was well for about 14, 15 years, and that was the one label that I was really holding on to very, very tightly. Oh. And it's why were you holding on to it so tightly? Make you feel virtuous, or um, no, not because of that. Because of the way that I became vegetarian, that was one of the reasons. And secondly, because it's one of the things that I felt like was was in my power, and that nobody could take away from me. You know, like mm. yeah, you could, I could lose a job, or you know, I could lose whatever. I could lose things around me. I could lose relationships. I could lose, you know, whatever. But this is my decision. I is in my control. You know, you can't take this away from me. Mm. So that that is why it was. Yeah, I was just really holding on to that need for achieving this um, this label of being vegetarian. You know, mm. and I told myself, no, never, never again. You know, meat ever. <laughs> <laughs> so when the health issues came up. Um, I had to actually read, I had to um, get someone to help me with them. Mm. And the first thing that they said was that I was suffering from nutritional deficiencies. And mm. these are deficiencies that couldn't really be um, provided from a, nutri- from a vegetarian diet. And I had to incorporate, well, I was already eating eggs occasionally, but I had to start eating eggs every day. I had to start taking dairy products, I had to eat cheese, I had to take beef liver, I had to take all of these. And it was through so much resistance, you know, at the expense of my health mm. that, you know, I I started doing these things. And it was really painful. It was really, really painful because you are talking about asking me to change who I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a vegetarian. How can you ask me to eat beef? What are you talking about? No way, you know. Now, that's interesting. You you said, I am vegetarian rather than saying I eat vegetarian. Yeah. Because you that's identified I mean. with it. Exactly. Yes. Or, or even I am eating vegetarian today. Yeah. Yeah, even less tightly held. Totally. I, and it, that was not how I came into vegetarianism. Mm. So that's why I was holding on to it very tightly because I was mm. convinced that it was like a divine, you know, thing that happened in my mm. life. Mm. Because uh, whenever anyone asked me, you know, why are you vegetarian? The truth is I never became vegetarian because, you know, I, I loved animals or because I wanted to help the environment. It was any of those things. It mm. was actually just... Uh, kind of like a deep desire within me, uh, which was like a nagging feeling, you know, and mm. which was like, no, you, this is this is the right thing to do. Like it just felt like the right thing to do. And when I went vegetarian, it was like this, literally overnight. Like that's how I I tend to be in life as well. Like I'm not a gradual, slow, you know. No, I just go like I 
make a decision and the flip switches in my head and suddenly I'm from one thing to another. So mm. that's how I became a gym as well. It was quite transformational, you know, mm. <laughs> right? Because you transform your brain from, from a meat eater to a vegetable eater, right? Like in an mm. instant. So that was another reason why I was really holding on to it very tightly because I was like, this is divine, you know, this is, um, it's more than just me, you know. Mm. But at the expense of my health. And when I was un when I was struggling with my health issues, I was Are healthy. you okay sharing what your health issues were or Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean it wasn't like it's not like cancer or anything like that, but mm. um it was mainly like an autoimmune um mm. not diagnosed because uh, no one's gonna tell you what it is. No one knows, right? Doctors don't have any idea of um they don't know a disease until it becomes really bad but if you work with naturopaths they can tell you that okay you are exhibiting autoimmunity system um, symptoms so um i tested myself for leaky gut and it turned out that i had a hyperpermeable gut membrane which means that the gut was actually allowing more through than it should and before, I never used to really believe in leaky gut because I was like, what is, how can a gut be leaky, right? But I, <laughs> you know, like, what does that even mean? Um, and yeah, then I got the test done. And uh, it's a very scientific test. And I have a scientific background. I was um, actually did biotechnology uh, as a degree. So, you know, I, I did that and I was convinced by the results. And I was like, okay, this makes sense that if my gut permeable, um, that membrane is hyperpermeable, then it's allowing food substances into my system, which is then causing an autoimmune reaction. So I had a hyperimmune reaction basically to almost anything I ate. And then that oh, would wow. translate in um, rashes, in hives, in, um, yeah, mostly rashes and hives. So it would be always on my skin. Mm. Right? So um, this would come and go, come and go every year. You know, so was, pr prior to that, you just put a cream on it, or what? Um, you, you attacked it tactically. Yeah. It. So, and, and it's interesting you use the word tackled because that's a, sport, a rough sports metaphor from American football or rugby. <laughs> it could also be like a Singaporean thing because we love to use the word tackle. <laughs> oh yeah, but that's quite an aggressive way to, to treat treat yeah. your body, right? To tackle exactly. it exactly. instead of to because nurture it. But yes, exactly, because my idea was that this is a disease, I have to fix it, right? Mm. And I wanted to fix it in the fastest way possible. Mm -hmm. So I had to tackle the situation, tackle this, you know, mm. um, this thing. And uh, I removed a lot of things from my diet, you know, mm. really know, didn't really know what I was doing, what I knew I was doing, you know. Um, and that really actually, now that I look back, I can see how that caused more nutritional deficiencies. Um, and so it all came up to this year where I realized, you know, I couldn't even be out in the sun for too long. And I'm born in the tropics, you know, for God's mm. sake, like I'm a tropical girl. And <laughs> if I can't be in the sun for more than an hour without like, you know, having rashes, then something is wrong. And that's when I went out and, you know, um, I started listening to uh, my husband, Michael, who is very, 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 very intelligent. And he knows a lot about health. And uh, I reached out to a naturopath who 
basically, you know, had the same thing to say as he did. And I was like, okay, you know, you know how you never listen to the, the people closest to you, right? <laughs> you always need to pay loads of money to someone else to tell you. So uh, that, that was my journey, basically. But um, mm. then I had to nurture myself and be okay with the fact that it was going to take time. You know, mm. because nutritional deficiencies are not something that you can take a pill and then it fixes overnight, right? Mm. Um, it takes time, you know, to nurture your body with the right nutrition, with the right food, with what it needs to get better. Um, and that's the journey I'm on right now, you know. How interesting the word nurture mm. and the word nutrition sound very similar. I wonder if they Don't have they? the same origin. Don't they? Yeah. I wonder. I think they probably do. I'll look that up later. <laughs> so, do, do, but you you got your health got better, or yes, after yes. you shifted so, your diet? Like I said, it's it's not a overnight thing. Like it is, if you just take you know a couple of supplements which attack just that issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've I've been looking at it from a more uh, from a from a core. Um, what do you call that? Uh, the root cause from a root mm. cause perspective mm-hmm. and like I said that takes time so now it's been about yeah eight months nine months and I am much better I can be out in the sun you know mm-hmm. my markers are looking a lot better um my can you believe that I was vitamin d deficient you know oh. and I thought that I was getting lots of sun you know mm. uh, but this this thing about vitamin d as well See, to make vitamin D, you need to be in the sun. If you go out in the sun, you get tanned. If you get tanned, you get dark. And this was another label that I didn't realize that I was actually holding on to because I thought I had shed it. I thought mm. I had shed that, you know, mm. idea that dark is not beautiful because that's what's ingrained in us Indians mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. young. My grandma until today, when she sees us, she's like, oh, you're so dark, you know, like with that pitiful look on her face. Oh, you're so dark. And so fair is beautiful in our culture. And I didn't realize how I was willing to go to be tanned to a certain point, but not beyond that, you know. So that was another thing that I had to shed this year. I was like, no, what's more important, the, my health or what people perceive of me? Mm. And when you're healthy and you look in the mirror, you see a healthy person looking back, you, you feel good, you know. But if you allow someone else's thought about you determine how you think about yourself, then no matter, you're going to keep yourself unhealthy because that's going to make your body unhealthy as well, right? So I was vitamin D deficient. And now my vitamin D is, you know, better in range. Um, and I still go out every day and I still get the sun. I'm still trying to get it better and it's interesting to see how one marker then starts to um, have like a domino effect on the other markers in your body and the rest of the markers also improve so um, what, what yeah. do you mean by marker here Is markers a- like um, basically they are indicators of health so for example like when you do a blood work when you do blood work you get your liver panel done you get your kidney panel done whatever right mm-hmm. um, so all of those uh, tests like all of those values are markers, right? They're mm. indi- indicators of health. Mm-hmm. So like vitamin D is one marker. Then you've got inflammation, which is HSCRP. That's another marker. So mm. that's just basically what I mean. Okay. 
Yeah. I, I'm kind of, I mean, as an investigation myself into health, I, I'm kind of curious what your definition of good health is. What, what is health? For me, health is when I wake up in the morning and I feel good mentally, physically, and spiritually. Mm. Health for me was something that I used to look at not on a holistic level, but more from very disjointed, you know, place. And um, there's no, that it's very, very difficult, you know, to, to not address every one of those parts of yourself if you want to be really healthy, you know, and uh, you could be totally enlightened, but you could be bedridden, right? So how are you then showing up for the world? Like, how are you contributing to the world? Or, I mean, maybe you can, you know, but I haven't quite figured that out yet. And I would rather be healthy in all aspects as much as I can. Mm. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I think how, how we feel in our mental health, physical, emotional, and spiritual is important. Um, the, the block I get in my own head is that's kind of subjective. You know, I could put a zero to 10 number on that, how good I feel today. And, um, and that's, I guess, where that's where those biomedical markers come in because that's a more objective measure of how different functions are happening in the body. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. So, like I felt really good from sun gazing. Uh, I spent a month in um, the rural Portugal and mm. in the Algarve, and I spent the whole month sun gazing in the morning and sun gazing in the evening. And what that did for my mental health was amazing. I was mm. so calm, peaceful, joyful. Um, but my markers still didn't look great, you know, and <laughs> it didn't look great because I wasn't getting vitamin D. I wasn't going out in the sun at the right time, you know. When oh. you start to understand how the world works, how the body works, how the sun interacts with your body, you know, to create this amazing molecule that then interacts with the rest of your body to create you, it just gives you that perspective that there is something so much bigger than what we can see, you know, and really grasp with our little minds. So this has been another huge awakening for me, you know, this journey into health and understanding, just understanding a little bit, a little bit, a little bit to get more understanding of the whole. And that's mm. why I, I, that's why I say like the more I learn, the less I know because I realize how little I know. <laughs> and so if I've learned so much and I still know so little, then I must know nothing. Right. <laughs> Ooh, I, I'm not sure I'd take it that far. I get what you're <laughs> saying. I, I think it is good. The, the more someone is a master or something, the more they realize they don't know the more there is to learn, you know, we never get to the point where we know everything about a topic. Um, so and certainly health is a very big topic. Uh, so many different ways people address health. Yeah, definitely. It's very individual for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, health is a kind of a vitality. It's the amount of life force that is going through our cells, our organs uh, aura yeah energy field um different dimensions we present in in this three-dimensional world and um 
I sort of, I, I sort of wish, you know, I don't know if you ever watched the old Star Trek things where Dr. Uh, what was his name? Bones. <laughs> I forget his real name. Um, McCoy, Dr. McCoy, he'd put them on this table and they have the tricorder reading and it would kind of show a little thing of health level, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe one day we'll have little machines that can measure our health just like happens on video games where you can see, oh, yeah, my health is really good. Yeah, or this well, aspect of my health is good. There are systems out there, but, you know, um, it just depends on if you believe in them. <laughs> like there are technologies out there which show you straight away in your body by testing you. This mm. is where, you know, you're low, this is where you're high, you need to balance this. Mm -hmm. And um, I've played with those things, you know. Uh, Which one was your favorite? Um, I don't think that they came to me at the right time in my life mm. for me to mm -hmm. say that, oh, wow, you know, this is my favorite. But at this moment in time, my favorite is really understanding how the body works and mm -hmm. addressing the root causes of what's causing your unhappiness or your your issues right mm -hmm. yeah i mean for me i see disease first of all i'll spell it with a hyphen in the middle it's dis-ease uh lack of ease in that mm -hmm. part of my body yes. uh, or mind or whatever the aspect is yeah and i see them as messages from spirit it's um something i need to learn or change and it's coming through my body and if I listen at an early stage when it's just like a slight disturbance in my mm. health, or you were saying when you were getting minor symptoms, but it wasn't life threatening, yeah. then I, it's easier to shift, you know, and um, the longer I wait on a health issue, the harder it is Definitely. to shift. Um, and in some sense, it's uh, that phrase, as within, so without, you know, mm. it's, the, it's the beliefs and thoughts I have. Effect, mm. can affect my body definitely and, um if i'm getting sick somewhere it's a it's an indication i need to shift something in my sure. internal yes. world in my spiritual world in my belief yes. world yes so i did go deeper in that as well and you know it can seem quite woo woo and metaphysical to some people but for me it made a lot of sense because you know it was all about the gut right mm -hmm. so it was um I was obviously holding a lot of trauma in there. I was mm. obviously holding a lot of, you know, um, mm. resentment, you know, unhappiness. And mm. so it, it's not a coincidence. The body does hold, mm. you know, all this, all these memories. And then it translates, like you said, it, it, it creates a, an, an atmosphere of unease and dis-ease inside on a cellular level, which then becomes into a disease that you can see on a physical level and then you know that you've got to address it and you cannot mm. just address it from a physical point of view you also have to address it from a mental and a spiritual point of view which is why i went down this route of the ego because i was like this i'm not just a body you know mm -hmm. and i'm deeper than that what yeah. is it you know yeah I mean, to me, the mental picture comes if, if you had a house and the foundation was off and the walls were kind of starting to have cracks in, you could just mm -hmm. kind of cover up the cracks with putty yeah. or whatever, yeah. or you could fix the problem in the foundation and solve the problem, you know, yep. permanently. Totally. So, That's uh, a great analogy, yeah. Yeah. But so many people today, they've either they are popping pills or, you know, doing other 
mm-hmm. things to cover up and go, you know, cover up the cracks. Or or they're putting on dark glasses of, you know, addiction so they don't see the cracks, you know, either drinking or overeating or yeah. video games or social media or Or even sunglasses, you know, and, yeah. and disconnecting <laughs> yourself from the source, you know. Oh, you, d- you don't believe in sunglasses? Not anymore. Uh-huh. <laughs> Now it's interesting. A lot of people do wear sunglasses. Yeah. Why? Why do you think so many people wear them? Well, it's, it's a whole. It's a very long conversation, but really, it always comes down to they're wearing them because they feel discomfort, and the discomfort is coming from the fact that they're not their bodies are not able to take the energy from the sun, right? Mm. And but the sun is a source of life. Right, so they're disconnected from the source of life, mm. and we have become separate from our source, and therefore separation has become part of our lives. So, yeah, mm. I think it's all. I think that's true, and also for some people, it's separation from other people. They can hide a bit. Oh, yeah. That's true. <laughs> I did used to love wearing my sunglasses and then sleeping on the train because I'm like, no one can see I'm sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so those trains in Singapore can be quite packed. <laughs> uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Got a helicopter. So you mentioned you had quite a lot of pain in this releasing this, these bits of your ego. Tell me more about that. Why, why was there so much pain involved? You know, when there's a death of something, there's always pain. Really? So for me, for me, yes, personally. Oh. Why is that? Um, Why does death cause pain? Because it's letting go, isn't it? It's emotional. And I'm not saying that's how I feel now, but it was back then. So now, like, uh, like when I got laid off last, last week, two weeks last ago. Last week? Wow. Weeks ago, yeah. <laughs> I was sad for like... You sound very calm. Yeah, I, make, I really am because mm. that's the death of something, but mm-hmm. it's not the death of me and it's not the death of what I know I am. Mm. But I didn't know this before. And so anything that would finish or close in my life Mm. Whether that was, you know, my identification with a label, like that I'm vegetarian, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or even my health, you know, the fact that my health is was declining, you know, was like a death of the body, right? It was painful, it was emotional, it's very hard to let go to something that you're attached to. It's like, oh. like imagine like when you are like, okay, so I, re- I really love my, my family, I'm very close to them, right? And I, when I think of my mom passing away, for mm-hmm. example, that brings up like re- mm-hmm. a lot of sadness. And when did, she, pa- when and, did she die? No, if she, if, if oh, she if. were to pass away, I can just imagine. This hasn't even happened that. and you're getting upset about it. Not now, but I was. <laughs> like that's, that's the analogy, right? So that's, how, that's why it was painful because mm. death to most people is painful. Mm. Right, sad, it's emotional. Because mm-hmm. you're holding on to something so tightly. Mm. So the pain is related to how tightly you hold on to something. Yeah, I mean, for me, yes. Mm. Yeah, I think pain is sometimes resistance to change. 
Oh, definitely. The ego is very good at that. <laughs> the ego is is uh, our um, stubbornness, right? Mm. So it's it, it resents any kind of change. It resents anyone with a different idea of how you mm. should live your life or how things should be. Because, you know, mm. how can they know better, you know? And that's why we are so stubborn. Mm. So, yeah, it's, it's a lot of resistance. Mm. But I mean, in some ways, all growth involves something dying. Exactly. You can't it have does. life, you know, you can't have a tree growing without some cells dying. Or... Exactly. And our, even our bodies, right? There are always cells dying. Gain, yeah, you can't make new cells without old cells dying. And so once you right. start to really understand that and know that that's this part of life. But do you think, do you think yeah. our body's cells are grieving every day because millions of their sisters are dying? No. How do they deal with this then? How do trees in the forest deal with other trees dying? I think that there is no grief on a deeper level. There is no mourning. There is no grief. There is no sadness. There is no... Mm -hmm any of those emotions because emotions come from our thoughts and thoughts come from our mind mm -hmm. and on a deeper level there is no mind there is no body mm -hmm. it, there just is so there is actually not, nothing of that out there they don't have to deal with it because there it's not there mm. it doesn't exist mm -hmm. at that level of consciousness it doesn't exist yeah I, I sometimes think of that we are all one and we're all individuals. It's like waves on an ocean. You know, all the waves are individual. On the other hand, they're all part of the same body of water in the ocean. And yeah. waves do die when they reach the beach and crash. Yeah. It's quite beautiful, And then they really. come back and they join the rest. Yes, of they the reverberate one back. And then they come back as one. And then, you know, it's a beautiful yeah. cycle, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I once... Uh, read that uh um god for god could you know one one uh, acronym is uh generating organizing destroying you know yeah. three aspects of god there's like growth the, there's, there's organizing and then the destruction like brahma vishnu and shiva the right. hindu trinity which one of those is the destroying one um which uh, shiva Shiva's the destroyer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is that like Kali in the Hindu? Uh, I'm not sure, actually, but I don't know if she's the destroyer. Right. I think yeah. Christianity doesn't have quite so much of that. It, they have the Holy Trinity, but I'm not, they I don't do. think they have There's the same no, concept of... Yeah, creating yeah. and destroying, Correct. organizing. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit different. Um, which would mean that East, some Eastern religions that have that concept would be more accepting of change and death. Yes. Which is maybe why so many Western people went to the East to yeah. learn from it. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I do feel just from looking at my own grandparents, for example, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's this concept of stoicism, but I don't know if it's actually stoicism more like a surrender, you mm. know, and surrender to the, to the forces of life, you know, and to the to how to how the world works, you know, this creating, organizing, or sustaining, and then destroying, mm. and they just surrender to that process. They surrender to that cycle of life, mm. and they are happy, you know. Like my my grandma is like an angel on earth, you know, and 
it's 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 really something to see because she she she's very very spiritual mm-hmm. and that's where it comes from her daily meditations you know her daily prayers and just that surrender mm. so it's it's really it was it's so inspirational for me to see that in her to see someone actually exemplify that for me mm. now you mentioned before we got on the podcast that when you were laid off you also felt you were getting a lesson and a growth opportunity um, can you tell us more about that viewpoint? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, for anyone you know who's who's been in the workforce, getting laid off or leaving a company is part of life, right? That happens, and um, I think that it was like a surrender for me because. Mm. It became something that I was again getting attached to, and I remember that two weeks before that, I had an intuition, you know, that something wasn't right, that the company owner was not going to be able to sustain this. But there was no indication from the company itself. But I had an intuition about it, and wow. I actually, yeah, and I actually, um, sort of, you know, just <laughs> put it out of my mind, you know, because oh, you're just being negative. Or whatever, and mm. um, just a week after that, I remember speaking to someone and saying, "I am so proud of where I am today because of how I've reinvented myself." You know, because from a biotechnologist working in a lab, I've gone to working remotely in a field completely different, right, to what I studied. I invented. Myself, I reinvented myself, and ego—that's ego. Mm. It's not a coincidence that all of these things happened, boop, 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 one after another. <laughs> you know, so that's why I'm not stressed or sad or any of those things. Because I'm just like, yeah, well, of course, <laughs> duh. <laughs> Hello, this is just another thing that you've got to attach to. Mm. <laughs> so you saw this as an opportunity to grow, and uh, it's always an opportunity to grow because yeah. every single time that I have found myself in a position where something was taken away from me, mm-hmm. that um, life just got better. Mm. Life just always got better because you learn step by step how to surrender. And you learn step by step how to go within, and you learn step by step that actually nothing really is yours, nothing really is in your absolute control, and it's only how you perceive it that causes the suffering. Mm-hmm. It's how you perceive it that causes, you know, the the resistance, and that's the ego. And perception is is possible to change. Yeah. You can. You are in control of your experience. You are mm-hmm. by how you how you perceive, how you choose to perceive. Mm. I think that's a very powerful shift that uh, you know we can make in our lives and businesses. Yeah. Shift the perception. I mean, I'm in, I'm part of a a gratitude group right now where we we're each supposed to post something we're grateful for that we haven't posted about before in the Facebook group. Mm. And you know it's like a daily gratitude practice, yeah. 
Um, and it doesn't have to be earth shaking. It can be, <laughs> I'm grateful for this, you know, fresh water we have, or yeah. sunshine, or, good, or this or new good customer. Hair day. <laughs> good hair day, yes. You know. <laughs> um, so that's a way of shifting perception in, in, in our lives or in our businesses. Um, yeah. Now you mentioned you, the gene keys, uh, mm. is something that's influenced you. How did that relate to this change, you know, being able to change your perception? And um, are you, are you familiar with the gene keys? I, I've only heard of it. So what, what yeah. is it? Sure. So the gene keys is basically like, um, kind of a map. So if you uh, know about astrology, then the gene keys is kind of like a, a map that's derived based on your birth date and time. And mm. it's like a map for your life, basically, like what you're here um, to transcend almost because it shows mm. you your the shadow levels that you're operating at, the gift mm. level that you can move into, and then the Siddhi level, which is the level of enlightenment, right? And um, it's a beautiful system, and it really helped me to understand that I was stuck at a shadow level on so many ways, in so many ways, you know. Mm. And the way that he's written the book as well is it's by Richard Rudd. It's beautiful mm. because he recognizes and, and believes that we are all of the same collective consciousness. Mm -hmm. So um, we, if we work on ourselves, we actually make that change in the collective consciousness as well. Mm. You know? And a lot of people, they struggle to find meaning or purpose. And it doesn't have to be like a huge endeavor, you know, you don't have to, your purpose doesn't have to be to become Bill Gates so that you can be a philanthropist and donate billions of dollars, you know. It can be just as simple as you returning to your truth because just that will create mm. that shift mm. in the collective consciousness. So, and you, you probably have seen this in your own life where when you have shifted yourself, the relationships around you have shifted. Like I've seen this in my family, mm -hmm. for example. Mm. Um, and it's very powerful, you know, because you change the dynamics. And again, you know, you can bring that into business too. You know, you shift yourself and you shift the dynamics of your your business relationships. Um, so the Gene Keys for me was really, really empowering because it really opened my eyes to the potential of ourselves, the potential of humanity. Mm. And uh, I would recommend that to everybody to, mm. you know, get your map done and to read it and, uh, yeah, you know, explore <laughs> that and go and just return to yourself. Like, you know, that's the end of the end of the day, right? Uh, like Fida. So Fida is one of the teachers that um, is very good at explaining how the gene keys work and how you apply them. And she says that there is always a search and the search is always spiritual towards the self-knowing. Even our search for financial security, our search for abundance, our search for relationships, all of those, we think we're actually searching for money and you know, all these things, but it's actually a search towards yourself, to your inner self, to your own self-knowing. And, you know, that, that to me makes a lot of sense. So, mm. yeah, I would recommend reading her reading her, her beautiful interpretations of the gene keys as well. I, I definitely agree with that. I think that certainly in the case of business, it really is a spiritual activity. 
you know, we're, we're spiritual beings being entrepreneurs, not mm. entrepreneurs occasionally having a spiritual experience. <laughs> um, because anything I do in my business to grow it, you know, typically when I do something, you know, say I'm going to do Facebook ads or whatever. Now, either yeah. I, I, either I need to learn how to do that, which is me growing that skill. Mm. Or I need to hire someone to do it. And usually when you hire someone, you have to do some personal growth in order to be able to hire the right person and hold the space for them so they can be successful in that role. So, and similarly, you know, businesses often get to a plateau. You yeah. know, they, they'll grow to a certain level and then they find it hard to grow beyond that. And that's because yeah. they haven't made the spiritual shift inside the mm. team within the business that can hold a larger business and can you know, delegate in even a bigger way. Yeah. Um, Cause it is around letting go. Typically, you, you know, as you get to having more people in the business, you can't control everything. No. Yeah. Um, and, and with really big businesses, you can't even control, you hardly control anything, you know, with, I don't know how good a spiritual leader Bill Gates was, but um, <laughs> he certainly was in charge of, you know, many tens of thousands of people. Mm. Um but he couldn't even manage all those yeah. people. He couldn't even manage the all the frontline managers, right? Yeah, he can there's only, no way. Right. He can only set the picture at a very highest level and it, yeah. you know, hopefully motivate people to go in a direction that was, you know, growthful for the company. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is uh, interesting. I mean, also related to that intuition you had, um, I, I think we do get premonitions. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, and I was watching this movie last weekend called The Power of the Heart, which is a lot of interviews with spiritual teachers, but it also yeah. had this, um, they mentioned an experiment that had been done uh, where they measured people's mind response and their heart response, and I think some other body bits. And they were showing random pictures generated by a computer, and they were either peaceful pictures or violent pictures. And when they showed the violent picture, you know, the person's brain waves would shift, you know, because they'd had a trauma, mini trauma, seeing something. What was fascinating to me, though, was that the heart shifted five seconds before the picture was shown, and it was random. You didn't know if it was going to be peaceful or violent, but somehow the heart knew with accuracy what was coming up in the future and that's incredible it is and, yeah. and this is true of um they've had they, there's this analogous thing there was there's an experiment ongoing where they have these random number generators running in the planet in all at different universities and they look at how random they are or, or are they you know not random yeah and before i read about that yeah yeah it's so cool yeah, before big events happen that affect a lot of people, the random yeah. number rate generators go less random, like before 9-11 and before yeah. the um, verdict for, um, I forget who the guy was, there was some famous American footballer who was mm. accused of murder and got off. And when that verdict, and that was trial was followed by... O.J. Simpson, Williams. was it? Yeah, O.J. Simpson. Yeah. When that verdict was released, again, they saw the same effect. Before the verdict was released, there was a shift in the randomness of these random mm. generators. It was... Yeah. So if, if you have a scientific mind and you need science to explain it, then there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, at least it involves computers and statistics. Uh, I think a lot of scientists have difficulty with this kind of uh, 
um, science. In fact, they label it as pseudoscience because they mm. don't understand it. Yeah. But it definitely is a, a way to do that scientifically. So, um, okay. So I know we've been talking for quite a while. Is there anything else you'd like to share with listeners about letting go ego or business intuition? Um, I think at the end of the day, you, I feel like everything around us, we have to take it with a pinch of salt almost. And when, you know, let's say things are not going well in the business or your employees acting up, your relationships, not the best. I think the first place to go to is actually to yourself. Mm and to look within first um, and to do that work first because like you said so within without so without right as within so without so um we really cannot change we cannot change anyone we cannot change the world but we can work on ourselves mm. and i think that that is the the main for me the main takeaway it's a lot easier to work in some ways it's easier to work on ourselves because that's totally under our control on the other hand a lot of people have their ego in the way yeah so it, there's resistance to it's work too confronting ourselves. it's too confronting <laughs> to say oh my god am i really like this mm. <laughs> yeah yeah well i'm curious you meant i i know we're wrapping up here but i did want to you have some daily practices that help you or your intuition and guidance yeah I'm just interested if you share okay sharing okay. what practices you follow no yeah sure and it's nothing revolutionary really <laughs> um basically the most important thing for me is meditation mm. um and i do use mantras uh that come from uh it's the, it's the nickname mantra that comes from um the sri gurgan side from the japji side mm -hmm. um and that for me has been like whenever I add meditation into my life, I was almost joking about this with my husband because I was telling him that whenever I've added meditation into my life, I feel like things always go wrong. But that's not true, right? Because it's actually just the, it's not going wrong, it's going right. <laughs> it's leading me towards, you know, back, right, to myself. And, um, that for me has been the most transformational just and i know many people do it and uh, it's, so it's nothing revolutionary but for me it's been huge it's i can see a night and day difference when i don't meditate and i do now mm. i have other practices obviously i do my daily qigong um, practice and um, mm. i do yoga once in a while or, you know sometimes a few times a week uh, sometimes i go without it i really just respond to my body um, that's another thing that I had to learn because um, I realized that my body couldn't handle high levels of intense exercise and that was one of the reasons that it would break down. Oh. So again, releasing attachment to why can I do HIIT? You know, why, why can I do weightlifting? Why can't I, like, I wanted to be mm. like everyone else, but I forgot that I had to just be myself. Mm. And um, so, yeah, so my, my practice is just really listening to myself. And then responding to that, but mm. 
to listen to myself, I have to meditate and I have to go within. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I, I use mantra in some of my meditations. Um, so I have a portion that's mantra and then after that it's just silence. Silent, yeah. Yeah, silence. Really, 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 I, I crave silence. Mm. <laughs> well, that's tricky in the modern world where there's a lot of noise from cars and people and music. Yeah, partners. Um, partners, <laughs> yes. Um, and, I mean, it used to be, you know, if you go back 150 years, they didn't have recorded music. You know, the only way you heard music was if there were musicians who were mm, playing it. Yeah. But yeah. you couldn't be walking along, unless you chose to sing yourself or you're with mm-hmm. other people singing, you couldn't be walking in the forest and hearing music. Now people have earphones in, they're listening to things. Yeah, and and they carry their phone around and get lots yeah. of interruptions. It's Listen like people the are afraid. Of the They're afraid of afraid of silence. You know, it's so beautiful here when you go into mm-hmm. silence because you mm-hmm. hear what you were not even aware of before. You mm-hmm. hear the trees. You hear the rustle mm-hmm. of the wind. You think you can't hear wind? Go into mm-hmm. a forest, into mm-hmm. a windy forest, and you hear mm-hmm. wind. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear the crickets. You hear it. it it's just you hear life, basically. Mm-hmm. And you only hear that when you go. Yeah, I mean, for, I, I get a lot of messages from animals or insects or birds. Mm. You know, there's a book I, I refer to called Animal, When Animals Speak by Ted Andrews. And, I mean, you can ask your own intuition, hey, what's the message from this particular animal? Um, particularly when it's something unusual you hadn't seen before. Like, you know, one time I was at a yoga event and mm. there was this big three foot long snake on the path. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> um, but snakes, one of the symbolisms of snakes is transformation because they yeah. shed their skin. Yeah. So, um, and I hadn't seen the snake on the path before or since, and I've been going to this event for a lot of years. So. Mm. But that was a message I needed to get in that moment. Mm. Um, another time I was in my room in apartment in Peru and I think I got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and then I heard this noise and I saw this rat put its nose around the bathroom door and just look at me and I stared back at it and it just wouldn't go away you know it was like a very bold rat and (laughs) but you know rats have spiritual meaning too they're very persistent you know i mean also with the ganesha image from the rat is the part of that image that gets through all the the problems in the small spaces they have a temple of rats in india as well oh i have to go see that yeah so i think by being silent and being observant (laughs) we can get more subtle messages that so it doesn't even have to come into our health as a sickness or come into our business as a disturbance or come into our relationships as an argument Mm. If we hear this intuition at an even earlier, more subtle stage, we can just flow yeah. uh, with it. So that's my thought. They, uh, speaking of mantra, I've been doing a mantra for the last um, 375 days, I think it is now, um, or thereabouts, um, which is uh, a Guru Ram Das chant for the heart mm. chakra. And I just want to share this with, I showed this to you earlier, but I just want to share. Uh, I've got this little Guru Ram Das uh, picture I carry around with me. 
and it's been to uh, the Golden Temple and various other places that I haven't been to. Um, but yet. It, yet. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now I've got my Indian tourist visa, which was quite an ordeal to get. I know. Yes. I know. Been there. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Done that. <laughs> I got the five-year visa because I didn't want to have to go through that ever again. Yes. Five yes. years. Yeah, so, I have the OCI now, so I've got the same oh. rights as, uh, as an Indian, hopefully. Oh, how cool. Yeah, overseas citizen of India. Right. Mm. So, um, but it's, chanting is very powerful, and it's, it's a very easy way. I know, I know people often say they have, they have difficulty meditating. And if you haven't tried curtain or tried chanting, um, I, I'd suggest giving it a try because yeah. it's very hard for the monkey mind to keep on talking when you're mm. singing a repeated. Uh, Definitely. Even the most, you know, uh, have, are you aware of transcendental meditation, TM? Mm. It's what yeah. all the celebrities follow. Um, and you have to pay uh, for someone to teach it to you. Even they mm. have the same concept where they, they give you a mantra. Mm. Right. And you focus on the mantra, you meditate on the mantra. And that's why right. it works. It works because your mind, you give your mind something to focus on. <laughs> right. Well, and also I, I believe that, you know, these mantras that are thousands of years old and being repeated billions of times, they, they create a powerful field. They become yep. more powerful by the repetition. It's sort of like a pop yeah. song. You know, you look at Beatles lyrics and songs. They have a much more powerful effect than than a new song typically has because so many <laughs> billions of people have sung those songs. I mean, I'm not yeah. saying the Beatles songs are mantras, but yeah. I'm just trying to give an analogy that you yeah. know how when you have a good pop song, it can stick in your head. Yeah, mantra can do the same thing, but in a more totally. way. Totally. So, yeah. It's hard to be angry, you know, when you have a mantra going on in your head. Yes, it's, it's difficult to react uh, in a very like unconscious way if you actually have a mantra playing in your head it's, it's actually quite hard try it <laughs> you know it's yeah. almost impossible well i have have experienced uh during an you know uh, just uh, an argument with someone just mentally repeating a mantra and it does clear me and i think it shifts the space yeah instead of thinking about what i'm going to say next yeah um it's also good to listen to the other person so there's a bit of a contradiction there but never mind mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um so if folks want to find you online, uh, what are the best ways to do that? Um, well, I guess you can just connect with me on Facebook or Instagram. Um, Facebook, Como Car, and Instagram, Como's Chronicles. <laughs> well, we'll put those in the show notes of the Intuitive yeah. Leadership Mastery site. And thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. It was really fun. Get strategies and show notes at intuitiveleadershipmastery.com. What would it take to see you here next time on the Intuitive Leadership Mastery Podcast?